As we continue to move down the path and share the timeline of events, the time is now 9.30 a.m. on Sunday, November 24, 1963. Lee Harvey Oswald was scheduled to be transferred from the Dallas Police Department to the Dallas County Jail at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. But before that was to occur, Oswald had one last interrogation session in Captain Fritz's office. They were still trying to get Oswald to admit to the shooting of Officer J.D. Tippett or the shooting of the President of the United States. He would admit to neither. At this point, Lee Oswald had been at the Dallas Police Department for around 45 hours, and although he had requested a lawyer many times, he still had not been given access to one. Oswald had initially requested New York lawyer John App, who was out of town for the weekend. John App was known for his defense of political prisoners. But if not apt, Oswald's second choice was someone from the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. Just so happened, ACLU lawyers did come to the Dallas jail on Friday night to meet with Oswald. But they were told by the Dallas police that Oswald did not want an attorney. So the ACLU left without ever speaking to Oswald. So Oswald went the entire weekend without a lawyer present. But his lack of counsel sure didn't stop the Dallas police and FBI from questioning him. Lee Oswald was interrogated for 12 hours. During these interrogations, there were no recordings made or notes taken. The only source of information about what happened during those 12 hours of interrogations are reports that were written after the fact by some of the people who were present during some of Oswald's interrogation, but not all. So when one says the interrogation notes could be inaccurate, that's a huge understatement. I have said it once on here, and I will say it again. This is the man accused of killing the most powerful man in the world, and no notes, no recordings, no video was taken of his interrogations. There's a reason for that. So some of you people out there that think that everything was on the up and up that weekend in Dallas, huh, you better think again. Let's get real here. There were five Secret Service agents and four FBI agents who were present for part of Oswald's interrogations. But for whatever reasons, none of those guys were ever questioned by the Warren Commission or even asked to submit affidavits about their interrogations of Oswald. And no notes were taken by those guys either. What a joke. Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. President, no, they're taking me in because of the fact that I'm in the facility. I'm just a pastor. President. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. There's a 
man with a gun. Welcome to the End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. In this week's episode, we're going to focus our attention on the second assassination that occurred that weekend in Dallas. Jack Ruby's killing of Lee Harvey Oswald. So why did Jack Ruby kill Lee Harvey Oswald? And how did Ruby get himself into the position to make that shot anyway? And is there a reason to believe that Ruby's relationship with the Dallas police officer allowed him to get access to Oswald? He literally had access to Oswald an entire weekend in Dallas as he slithered his way through the halls of the Dallas Police Department. We're at the Lewiston Raceway in Lewiston, Maine with Mrs. Nancy Hamilton, owner of the Hamilton Stables. Mrs. Hamilton, did you testify as a witness before the Warren Commission? Yes, I did. On June 2nd, 1964, we have been a freelance investigator for various police departments district attorney's offices, such as the Sacramento District Attorney's Office, Suffolk County, Massachusetts District Attorney's Office, Boston Police Department, and various uh, private detectives. And before that, were you employed by Jack Ruby? Yes, I was. This was in 1961 in Dallas at his club, The Carousel, and I was bartender, waitress, and... Rather, the manager there. How did you get that job? I had gone into Dallas not knowing anyone, and, of course, the first place I went was the police department. And uh, they were very kind and got me the job there. They got you the job by Jack Ruby? Yes, they did. Did they know Ruby? Personally, oh, yes, very well. Vouched for him, wonderful person, great man. Well known by the Dallas Police Department. What were your duties there? Well, general bar duties, such as setting up the liquor, getting the bar ready for the evening trade, uh, waiting tables if he was short-handed. Otherwise, I'd be behind the bar serving the drinks. Uh, did you ever serve drinks to Dallas police officers? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, the Dallas police officers were the special boys, shall we say. We even had a private stock for them. Private stock? Oh, yes. They wouldn't... Uh, bar liquor wasn't for them. We had... Uh, names such as Hagen Haig or a Black Label, the very, very high-priced drinks on the house, of course, you never, and that was a gross uh, oversight if you ever charged a Dallas police officer or any official of the city of Dallas or Tarrant County. Well, other than the Dallas police officers, what officials did frequent the Ruby's establishment? Oh, such as your... District Attorney, which would be Mr. Wade. Did you know Ruby before this? No, sir. Did you receive any specific instructions from Jack Ruby about uh, serving drinks for the Dallas police officers? Yes. In fact, uh, Jack told me point blank. He said, Nancy, if you ever, he said intentionally or unintentionally, charge a Dallas police officer, he said, you might as well go look for another job. He said, don't offend them, cater to them talk with them, even if you ignore the other customers, bend over backwards to be nice to them. Did Ruby uh, perform any other favors for the Dallas police officers? Well, yeah, well, favors, we call them favors, uh, I suppose so. He provided girls, gambling, and booze. How many Dallas police officers would you estimate Jack Ruby knew on a personal basis? At least half and probably two-thirds. There were almost 1,200 police officers in Dallas in 1963. 
Would you say Ruby knew 600 of them? Oh, easily. A great deal has been written about the uh, relationship of the Dallas Police Department with Jack Ruby. Uh, we have 1,200 men in our department, and we uh, had each man to submit a report regarding his knowledge or acquaintance with Jack Ruby. Less than 50 men even knew Jack Ruby. You see, Jack Ruby was a man who wanted to be noticed, wanted to be known. And he used to frequent the Dallas Police Department. And he used to brag, uh, oh, I can get this fixed for you, I can get that fixed for you. Did the Dallas Police Department or District Attorney's Office ever do any favors for Jack Ruby? Uh, several that I could probably name, such as uh, serving drinks a little late. I mean, Ruby was permitted to serve drinks after hours. They did, and no one ever interfered. And, of course, it was common knowledge that he ran girls and gambling, and I've never seen him any kind of a uh, pickup on it. Did you serve uh, mixed drinks to police officers? Yes. Is it against the law in Dallas to serve mixed drinks? Oh, yes, definitely, except in a private club. This, of course, was not a private club. No, open club. So that every time you served a drink to a police officer, it was a violation of the law? Yes, and I'd say I probably broke the law a few hundred times in doing so. And, of course, the police were witnesses. Well, I... Uh, up to a point, they were witnesses. After that, I guess they probably didn't care. <laughs> Lee Oswald was scheduled to be transferred from the Dallas Police Department to the Dallas County Jail on Sunday morning, November 24th at 10 a.m. sharp. Jack Ruby is still in bed at Oswald's scheduled transfer time. At 10.18 a.m., Ruby allegedly received a call from Karen Little Lynn Bennett Carlin, one of his strippers. According to Jack, Lynn said she needed money for rent. Since the closing of the carousel club, she had not been paid by Ruby. Even though it was a Sunday, her landlord had threatened to evict her if she didn't pay the rent immediately. Ruby told her that while all he was required to do was to pay her salary when the club was open, he would advance her some cash by Western Union. Ruby then asked Karen how he should address her. He only knew her as Little Lynn. She gave him her address and full name, which he jotted down. Despite the fact that Ruby had about $2,000 cash in his pocket, he wired her money instead of taking it to her. He asked her if she knew where the Western Union office in Fort Worth was located, and he told her that $25 would be there in care of Will Call Western. George Senator was apparently a witness to this call. Just before 10.45 a.m., Ruby left his apartment with his dash hound Sheba, spoke to a neighbor for a minute, and drove off in his white two-door 1960 Oldsmobile. At around 10.50 a.m., he passed Dealey Plaza in the county jail, which overlooked the plaza. He took note of the crowd in the street. He continued on to the Western Union office, pulled into All Rock parking lot by Southland Hotel at the corner of Main and Pearl Streets, and left his car, unlocked, with Sheba inside. Ruby entered the Western Union office and, while waiting for a clerk, filled out the form to send money to Little Lynn. So at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, while the world was waiting to see the accused President Kennedy assassin Lee Harvey Oswald being transferred from the Dallas police station to the county jail, Jack Ruby was barely out of bed. Millions of people were tuned into live television coverage of Oswald's transfer. Everyone wanted a glimpse of the most hated man in America. 
Jack Ruby had stalked Oswald at the police station on two separate occasions in the preceding 48 hours. He was even spotted at Parkland Hospital within 30 minutes of the assassination by Dallas newsman Seth Cantor, who would see Ruby on occasion dolling out coffee and sandwiches at the Dallas police station. But yet, Ruby was not at the police station at the scheduled 10 a.m. transfer time? Something doesn't add up, does it? At 11.17 a.m. from the Western Union office, Ruby headed west on foot to the police station, which was only a half block from the Western Union office. He later claimed that he simply walked past the guards unchallenged and down into the basement via the car ramp on Main Street. He claims he saw a crowd gathered there outside the ramp, and he just went out of curiosity. Still trying to avoid a confrontation with Oswald, Ruby showed up at the jail one hour and 20 minutes past the prisoner's scheduled transfer time but the authorities held up moving Oswald until Ruby arrived. Assistant Chief of Police Charles Batchelor was in charge of security arrangements for the motorcade as well as for Oswald's transfer from police headquarters to the jail. Lieutenant George Butler, who was supervising Oswald's transfer, gave the clearance signal to bring him down into the basement. In its investigation, the House Assassinations Committee concluded that Ruby was assisted in entering the basement. When someone began a double-check and search of the basement before the transfer, Charles Batchelor ordered it stopped. Officer Roy Vaughn supposedly let Ruby in the basement, and Officer Napoleon Daniels said he saw Ruby come down the ramp. Ruby would later tell police he gained access to the killing zone in the basement by walking down the ramp. Officer Roy Vaughn swore, until the day he died, that Ruby never passed him on the ramp. It is doubtful that Vaughn was telling the truth. The time is now 11.21 a.m. on Sunday, November 24, 1963. Jack Ruby has conveniently just entered the basement where Lee Oswald was about to be let out by the police. Dallas Police Captain Will Fritz leads the procession as Oswald is being let out. He is handcuffed to Dallas Police Detective Jim Lavelle, who speaks about it here. On a Sunday, uh, the 24th, we were beginning to transfer Lee Harvey Oswald to the Dallas County Jail. We had so many threats called in, they were going to take Oswald away from us and do all sorts of bad things to him. I said, what I'm going to do is just handcuff myself to him. So if they take him, they got to take me, and I'm not going to go willingly. Just as we were getting ready to go down, I told him, and Lee, if anybody shoots at you, I hope he's as good a shot as you are. He kind of laughed, and he said, oh, nobody's going to shoot at me. As we walked into the basement, I saw Jack Ruby. He was standing in the crowd of reporters and police officers. He had the pistol in his left hand pressed against his leg. So Detective Jim Lavelle sees Jack Ruby standing in the crowd with the gun pressed up against his leg, but he does nothing. That's another podcast for another day. The more interesting question I have is, did Lee Oswald recognize Jack Ruby just seconds before he was shot down? There were numerous photographs taken at the scene as it unfolded. There was also video taken of the entire shooting. At one point, as Oswald's being let out, you can see that he turns directly towards Ruby. He seems to make eye contact with Ruby and he clearly recognizes him. But Oswald showed no signs of alarm at all, probably because Ruby kept his gun down and out of sight. What is, in my opinion, more revealing is that Oswald turned quickly back toward the front, as if he didn't want to draw attention to the man he probably thought was his ally. Don't know if you've heard, but there is evidence that Ruby and Oswald knew each other before the assassination, so I'm going to take a quick detour here. Don't worry, it's going to be a very short one. 
Beverly Oliver, who knew Jack Ruby well, goes on camera for the first time in the British documentary The Men Who Killed Kennedy in 1988. She talks about Oswald and Ruby knowing each other weeks before the assassination. I purposely have waited this long. I've always felt very threatened. You know, a lot of folks that uh, gave testimony are no longer around to give testimony any longer. I didn't want to become a statistic. I didn't want to be one of those people that shot myself in the back of the head with a shotgun. One night in particular, I recall about two weeks prior to the assassination, uh, being in the club, uh, parking lot separated his club, the carousel, and the club that I worked at, the colony club. So in between shows, the showgirls from the colony club would go over to Jack's club and watch their show, and in their show breaks, they would come and watch our show. So I had trotted over there that night and, and was watching uh, the show, and uh, there was a girl that danced there by the name of Jada, and she was sitting at the table with Jack Ruby and another man, and I went and sat down with them to have a drink. As I sat down at the table, uh, Ruby introduced me to the man sitting there at the table with he and Jada and he said Beverly this is my friend Lee and after Jack Ruby went into the police station and killed Lee Harvey Oswald it was then that I realized this was the man that I had met in the club two weeks prior to the assassination of Kennedy Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby were linked together and I don't know how and probably I never will but I know in my heart that man, Lee Harvey Oswald, or the person that was shot in the basement of the police station, was the man that was in the club two weeks prior to the assassination. As a matter of fact, the next day, Jada gave an interview to the newspaper, and she said the same thing that I'm saying to you now, that she met Oswald two weeks prior to the assassination of Kennedy. However unfortunate it is, Jada is dead, or so they tell me. If you don't believe Beverly Oliver's story about Oswald and Ruby knowing each other weeks before the assassination, that's okay. Believe me, there's more evidence out there that supports the fact that they knew each other weeks before the assassination, and we'll get into that in some later podcasts. Now back to what we came here for today. Before a stunned media assembly and a worldwide television audience of millions, a calm and collected dark figure lunges in front of the cameras and extended microphones. He takes a single shot at Oswald and alters history forever. Being let out by uh, Captain Fritz. There is Lee. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. There's a man with a gun. Absolute panic. Absolute panic here in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters. Detectives have their guns drawn. There's no question about it, Oswald has been shot at point-blank range, fired into his stomach. He is shot. He is shot. Oswald, he is shot. Oswald, he is shot. Oswald, he is shot. Oswald has been shot. The man who saw the shot fired said it was fired by a man wearing a black hat, a brown coat. This is Glenn Duncan in the KLIF newsroom. Unconfirmed reports at the moment indicate the strong possibility that Lee Harvey Oswald may have been gunned down, may have been shot by what is unofficially reported to be a small elderly man with a small revolver. 
These are unofficial reports. We have not heard anything official yet, but unofficial word indicates that somehow in the movement from the Dallas County Jail to the Dallas County Jail, probably in the City Hall building, Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin of President Kennedy, has himself been shot. This is unconfirmed. There are reports of one shot ringing out. The scene right now is one of utter confusion. We're awaiting official word within moments. Stay tuned. Talking in the KLIF newsroom, we have word from an eyewitness at the scene who just told me that Lee Harvey Oswald has been shot. He is now reported to be in an O'Neill ambulance rushing to one of the area hospitals and shot in the right side of the face. An eyewitness uh, seconds ago described to me the scene as Lee Harvey Oswald was loaded into an O'Neill ambulance. He said he was apparently shot was by a man who had perhaps had himself as a detective or a secret service agent. This is unconfirmed, but it now appears definite that Lee Harvey Oswald, accused assassin of President Kennedy, was shot in probably the right side of the face as he was leaving the city jail under heavy police escort and a transfer to the Dallas County Jail. Stay tuned. This is Glenn Duncan in the KLIF newsroom. An eyewitness on the scene, a clip reporter, who said that Lee Harvey Oswald has definitely been shot. He's been rushed off to one of the area hospitals in an O'Neill ambulance. The man who is believed to have shot him has been captured by Dallas police in the area. They are scuffling with him at the moment, loading him into... Uh, Hustling him back into the jail, that is. Once again, Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin of President Kennedy, gunned down himself in the Dallas City Jail as he was being prepared to move to the State County Jail. Stay tuned. This is Glenn Duncan in the KLIF newsroom. KLIF is now resuming continuous broadcast. New developments coming every moment here. Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin of President Kennedy, was gunned down in the Dallas City Jail just a few moments ago. He was being prepared to be taken from the city jail to the Dallas County Jail. A small elderly man has been taken into custody. The man had a small caliber revolver. The shot occurred in the basement of the city hall building as Oswald was being taken from the police booking office. The few short steps to an armored car which had been specially prepared for the move. It was a panel truck. The elderly man was grabbed by several police and rushed up to the city hall building. Very meager details at this moment. The man is described as having graying hair surrounded, uh, surrounding a bald spot. He reportedly had a white shirt on, which has been ripped open or off in the scuffle with police. Oswald was blanked by a heavy guard of detectives when he was shot. It's still undetermined how it occurred. He was put on a litter holding his left side. An O'Neill ambulance had been standing by in case of emergency. It was brought up, and Oswald was put into it and rushed to Parkland Hospital. No confirmation on his arrival yet. The wild scene developed in the basement of the city hall. At one point, detectives and police officers trying to get the wounded turncoat back into the booking office jammed themselves into the doorway and couldn't move. Police Chief Jesse Curry is preparing a statement. Oswald at the time was dressed in a pair of black trousers, a tan shirt, and a black sweater. When he was shot, he made no sound. He fell to the floor, clutching his side below the ribcage. His slight assailant, as we said, with gray hair, wearing a gray suit and uh, a white shirt. It's not immediately known who he was or how he happened to even be present in the basement. Dallas police had set up stringent security measures for Oswald's transfer. Gary DeLong, were you on the scene, Gary? I believe we have some audio coming at the moment. The transfer had been announced beforehand to the public, of course, and prior to bringing Oswald to the basement, police using flashlights had searched the entire basement area. Officers with riot guns and rifles were posted throughout the basement area. 
nation watched this shooting today, national television networks, radio networks, KLIF, in fact, and open lines of the scene when that occurred. Once again, Lee Harvey Oswald, the only person wounded in today's shooting, evidently. The local man who was captured has been identified as a well-known Dallas nightclub operator, Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby, the small man, Police Lieutenant George Butler is identified, and his words, the man that did the shooting, that is, that is the suspect. He was taken into custody immediately after the, the shooting occurred there in the Dallas City Jail. Next week on the end of Innocence, the JFK assassination, we follow Lee Oswald as he arrives at Parkland Hospital and the doctors attempt to save his life. What was the last few minutes of Oswald's life like? We will also take a look at what Jack Ruby said his motives for killing Lee Oswald were. And why did Lyndon Johnson want to speak to the chief operating surgeon who was working on Oswald, attempting to save his life? That's all next week. We'll see you then.